0: Good morning, Mission Viejo Christian Church. I am not Pastor Mike. Thank you for your prayers for him. Uh, he's doing better, and he's kind of rounded a turn. And he's doing better, but he's not back yet today. So keep praying for him. Always be praying for uh, for all of us and stuff. But uh, this morning, we're going to kind of continue a, a thread of a thought that we started with last week. Last week, if you recall, we talked about the sacrament Of communion, the way that God pours out his grace into our lives, the way that he meets us in that place where we celebrate communion together. Today we're gonna talk about another sacrament, a different sacrament. It's the sacrament of baptism. And baptism is another place where, like communion, God meets with us and he pours his grace into our life and he makes a difference. And so we're gonna explore that first of all through the lens of Jesus' experience of baptism. What happens when Jesus was baptized? Secondly, we're going to talk a little bit about the role that baptism played uh, in the earliest days of the church. And then kind of moving from there, we're going to talk about maybe what does it look like here and now today when we do baptisms and when we baptize people. Is that all right? Fantastic. Then let's move ahead. If you're one of those... Bible people, and I hope that you are. Matthew chapter 3 is where you're going to want to be ready. That's where we're going to spend quite a bit of time this morning. And we're going to start kind of in the middle of the chapter uh, at verse 13. And this is where Matthew is recounting what happened when Jesus was baptized. And he says that, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And you come, uh, and yet you come to me. Jesus replied, well, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And so then John consented. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, the heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I loved. With him I am well pleased. There is a lot going on there. There's a lot taking place, and we want to make sure that we don't miss any of it that's important. In fact, there's something that I bet we just zipped right by that didn't capture your attention much, Um, but it's actually very important to understand the significance of baptism. And it's way back at the top of that passage, so I'm going to just go back to it so we can see it. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. It doesn't sound like there's a lot happening there, does it? But if you're one of those geography people and you understand where Galilee is in relation to the Jordan, if you understand that Galilee, where Jesus was coming from, is way up at the north end of Israel, and that where John was baptizing people down near, uh, just out from Jerusalem a little ways, that's way down at the southern end of Israel. And so what we breeze across, hey, he went from Galilee to the Jordan, he walked 70 miles to get there. Seventy miles. Seventy miles. Something was going on that was worth his time, right? 70 miles would be like us saying, hey, we've got a baptism coming up, and so we want you to walk from here and we're going to do it down in San Diego. We'll meet you there. It was that kind of a distance that we're talking about, and it wasn't like you just hopped onto the toll roads and zipped your way down there free of traffic. You walked that step by dusty step all the way down there, probably a two- or three-day journey at best that way. And from this we can extract an understanding about how Jesus thought about baptism. I would say that Jesus made his own baptism a huge priority. As someone who said, nobody walks 70 miles on accident. Jesus said, there's something happening down there just outside of Jerusalem. My cousin John is down there. He's baptizing people, and I want to be part of it. I want to be part of it bad enough that I'm going to to walk all the way down there uh, myself. And he invited his disciples to come along with him and to follow It was of huge significance to Jesus. He made it a priority. And just by extension, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, here's a great life principle to live by. Ready? If it was important to Jesus, it should be important to us. Right? It was important enough to Jesus to give that much effort to baptism. It ought to have some equal significance for us as well. And so maybe that raises the question a little bit. What was it that was taking place down there where John was baptizing people that was, so, that was such a priority for Jesus, that was so important for him? What was it that was going on that Jesus says, I am upending everything around me and I'm making a beeline for that so that I can participate in it? Well, to understand what was taking place, we're now going to go back to the beginning of that chapter where Matthew is describing to us what it's like where John is baptizing people. Okay, So here we go, starting at the top of Matthew chapter 3. It says, in those days John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And he was saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who is spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. That is, John is the one who is spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. And prepare the way of the Lord and make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of of camel's hair. And he had a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey, which yes, that sounds weird, but stick with it, we're going to get back to that in a little bit. People went out to him from Jerusalem, and all Judea, and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. So... All of these things are taking place, and you probably saw some of the the highlights and stuff, but I want to hit that along the way, as Matthew describes John's baptism, the baptism that John was conducting, he hits really three key items of what were taking place, and we're going to see that these three ideas carry through the whole way. And the first one of this, it's the idea of belief. When people were coming out to be baptized by John, they were expressing their belief. And then they were uh, expressing their identification with John, what John was doing. And they were uh, expressing their own repentance from sin as well. And we're going to look at those kind of one each at a time. And the first one is this, with regard to belief. The passage said John was making this claim. The kingdom of heaven has come near and is coming near in the person of Jesus. He was making claims about what God was doing. And people had to decide, do I believe him or not? And it's right in that part of the passage. It describes John as this guy wearing camel hair and a leather belt and eating locusts and wild honey. And we, and we go, that's just kind of what, what odd details to include. Except for this the people that are reading Matthew's gospel. His original readers understand that description very clearly. That description of someone in camel hair, leather belt, locusts, and honey, that resonates with them. In the same way it would resonate with you if I said, hey, I was in New York the other day, and this guy comes out of a phone booth, and he's got like these blue tights, and a red cape, and red boots, and a big S on his chest. Like we would all understand, right? Oh, that's Superman. I get it. And then we'd all have to make a decision, do we believe that really was Superman or someone doing some kind of cosplay thing or whatever that is. But, but the idea that his identity was conveyed by that description, it works the same way with the description of John the Baptist. That description of someone wearing camel hair and leather belt and locusts and honey is what he ate. That, that was the description of, of Elijah, the prophet, one of the great prophets of the Old Testament. The last of the great prophets that the, the Jesus followers looked towards, to say that was the one who spoke the word of God to us, and so Matthew presents John the Baptist as a prophet in the kind of in the tradition of Elijah, powerful, speaking for God, able to do signs and wonders, like with all of God's anointing upon him. There's this inherent claim that that's what's taking place out where John is preaching uh, outside of Jerusalem, and the people have to decide: Do I believe he's really a prophet of God? Or do I think he's just some nut job who dresses weirdly and has a strange dietary regimen? And when they're coming out to be baptized by him, they're saying, they're expressing, no, I believe in this man, and I believe in the word and the message that he's speaking to us from the Lord. But it wasn't just that they believed him. And there's this other part that's like of of identification. That is, when people came out and said, I want to be baptized, they didn't just say, I believe something good is happening here. They were saying... I want to identify with what's happening here. It's not just something happening here. I'm a part of it. This I'm on board. I'm a part of what God is doing here. When I step into the rivers and I'm baptized, I am a part of what God is doing through John the Baptist. I want people to know it. There is an expression of belief. There is an expression of identification. And then the third one is, and it's again clear from the passage, it says they were repenting from sin. And that's really kind of twofold. On the one hand, it's people coming and acknowledging as they come to John to say, I'm here because I need to repent. I have done this, and I have done that, and I have done the other. And they confessed their sins and turned from them. I imagine some people were there a little bit longer than others because they had a little more to confess and repent of. But they were repenting for specific sins, right? But beyond that, they were saying, it's not just the fact that I have committed some specific sins. It's, I, have, I have a heart that's sinful, before I actually act out and do anything, I have a heart that um, that I am unable to control by myself. I am drawn to sin. I am tempted towards sin. I'm an imperfect person, and I can't change that about myself. I need God to change that, and so I'm coming to this moment of baptism, baptism, saying I'm powerless to change my own heart, but I need, and I acknowledge that I repent of the sin, but I need God to change me from the inside out, and that's what they were doing expressing belief, identifying with what God was doing, and then repenting from sin. And so, um, and so Jesus comes along. John's doing all this, baptizing, all this is happen, happening, and Jesus comes and John says, whoa, hold on. It, as, far, as far as belief goes, it's, it's not that you need to believe me, Jesus. I need to believe you. And John would say, look, Jesus, it's not that you need to identify with me. Like, we need to draw people to identify with you. Jesus, you've got this, you've got this all wrong. You, don't, you, you have no sin to repent of. You're the only one here who does not have a sinful heart. You're the only one here who has not committed sinful acts. So, so this baptism, Jesus, it's all wrong for you. And Jesus says, no, John, you've misunderstood. It's, it's proper for me to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Because on the one hand, he says, uh, from the statement of belief, I've got a redemptive work here to do, John. And I'm asking you to believe me that what God wants me to do is to step in and participate in this baptism as part of my saving work for all humanity. And John goes, okay. And, and with regard to identification, Jesus says, look, my whole mission on this earth the reason i left a throne in heaven to come down and be on earth was so that i could identify with humanity so i could not just say there is humanity out there but to say i am amongst humanity and i participate with you and i live with you and i experience and i experience the joys and the griefs and the trials and the tribulations with you christ identifies with our humanity and he says and so that's why i'm here to be baptized and with regard to the repentance No, at that moment, Jesus had nothing to repent of. But as he steps in to be baptized, he's acknowledging the time's gonna come where I am gonna take on myself the sin of the whole world. All those things that I haven't done Jesus says, the things that I haven't committed, all, those, all, all the weaknesses and failures that you and I bring to the table, Jesus says, I am going to take those upon me and I'm going to be put to death for those. So in this moment of, of baptism, I am repenting of, indicating repentance for those sins because I will save the world from all of its sin. I am a stand-in for all humanity when I step into the waters of baptism. That's what Jesus meant means when he says, it's proper for this to happen. And John says, well, okay, then let's do this. And they go ahead and they baptize him. Um, in fact, um, uh, yeah, so he baptized him. Uh, and so we see then, as Jesus comes in, he goes down into the water, something happens. And there's something about baptism that's powerful. One of the things that baptism does is that it expresses belief, identification, and repentance, as we said. But it also conveys just a beautiful, beautiful symbolism. Jesus comes to this moment, right? He and John have this little discussion about whether or not he's going to be baptized. John comes to this understanding, and then he goes to be baptized. Well, some of the power, some of the beauty of baptism is what happens just mechanically and going through the motions of baptism. Let's start with this. There's this moment in baptism where you're standing in the water and and you're able to just stand there if you want to, but you just release yourself and float back and you surrender yourself to the process and allow yourself to fall back into those waters, right? It's, it's a beautiful representation of what it is to follow Jesus, of what it is to say, you know, if I want to, I can just stand here and not participate, but. God, I'm just going to fall back and lean into and surrender to your saving grace, to your empowering love, to your healing strength. I'm just going to fall back, God, into anything and everything that you have for me and trust you. With the results, that's one of the things that's happening with baptism, and that's why it's beautiful. That's one of the pieces of the symbolism that way. Uh, but there's another one too, and it's, it's I think fairly obvious. Um, it's the idea of cleansing. Right? You step into that. You step in, and you say, "I'm dirty. That my sin has stained me. I need to be cleaned." And so you go. Into the water, and the water cleanses, and you're raised up fresh and new and clean where you weren't before. This would have been especially important after a 70 mile hike to get there with all the road grime and, and sweat and perspiration and everything else. It was time to be cleansed, but it wasn't just the physical cleansing, it's the spiritual and the, uh, the spiritual cleansing, the cleansing of our soul from sin that's symbolized by being into the waters and coming up fresh and clean in a way that we couldn't have got before. There, there's another one, too, another piece of the symbolism that really makes baptism as powerful as it is, and it's the symbolism relating to death and life, right? When we're baptized, we, we go down into the water, and that, and that signifies that there was an old person who we were. There was an old person who was before Christ, before salvation, before faith, before Jesus, and, and when we follow Jesus, we put that old person to death, and then God says, when you, if you come to me, you, you're a new creature. That God raises up this old man who's dead, he gets left down at the bottom, and a new person rises up that's equipped and empowered and filled with the Spirit, ready to please God and live a life on mission with him. There's a, there's a death to the old and a rising to life that is new. That's powerful. And then through Jesus we learn there's another kind of component of that, which I think is even more exciting. Jesus actually prophetically indicates what's going to be his experience. That he is actually physically going to be put to death. And that God, in his resurrection power, is going to raise him up into eternal life following that. And then, and and. The lesson of Scripture is this, that Jesus teaches what happens to Jesus when he goes into the tomb and then is raised by resurrection power to new life that's eternal. He says that what happened to Jesus first, that happens to the rest of us later. When we're in the waters of baptism, one of the things that we're acknowledging is that the day will come, short of Christ's return, the day will come where, we, where these bodies will give out and we will pass away and we will die and we, we will be put in the ground but we're put in the ground with a hope that's based on the promise of Jesus that one day that body will be raised up to new life, eternal, to be with him and those who follow him forever. There is a powerful prophetic declaration that we make when we go under the waters and are raised back up and it speaks to the promise of eternal life that's part of what we claim as followers of Jesus Christ that way. And then there's this final piece, and I love this. There's this moment in Jesus' baptism After he comes up out of the water, his experience is powerful. He comes up out of the water, and well, let's go ahead and let's actually re look at it a little bit or look at it. Um, It's as he's coming up out of the waters out of uh, Matthew 3, this great thing happens. It says that as Jesus comes out of the water, he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. And with him, I am well pleased. I love that. Jesus gets this moment, right? In front of God and everyone where, the, where God himself speaks out loud and says, I love you. I'm so proud of you. I am pleased with who you are and what you're doing and who you're becoming. I affirm your journey. I am with you in this. Have you ever been in a season in your life, in a place in your life where, where like the one thing you needed was someone important in your life to affirm you and acknowledge you and to be proud of you and to be pleased with you? Have you ever been in that spot where you needed that more desperately than anything in the world, but it just wasn't happening? It is soul-crushing to live without that kind of encouragement and affirmation and words of love and care. And in this moment, Jesus got every bit of what he needed as he came up out of the waters and the Father expressed his affection and his love and his approval and his affirmation. It was a beautiful, empowering moment for Jesus. As a side note, it's one of those places, few places in Scripture where we see the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit all together in the same place. Jesus is being baptized, the dove is descending, uh, uh, represented, and the spirit, uh, the spirit is descending in the form of a dove, and God is speaking, all three of them there. But, but Jesus, for his part, has this empowering moment where he gets to hear God's approval and his, uh, and his affirmation of him. And I will say, if that's the last we ever heard of baptism in the Bible, we'd go, oh, well, that was a great moment for Jesus. Good for him. That's awesome. And we would understand, yeah, that's part of Jesus' life. It's part of his ministry. But we would just move on. But that is most assuredly not the last that we hear of baptism in the Bible. And uh, at the end of his ministry... uh, because he was baptized at the beginning of his ministry, at the end, Jesus gets to the point after he's done his ministry, after he's died, after he's been raised again, and just as he's getting ready to ascend to the Father, he, he gives this commission to those who are his disciples. Kind of their final marching orders, and we find those in Matthew 28. And this is what he says to them. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I I hope you see what happened there. Jesus begins his ministry by getting baptized and calling some disciples. And then he gets to the end of his ministry and he says, make disciples and baptize them. There is this connection in Jesus' mind between the idea of making disciples and being baptized. In fact, I think it's fair to say that Jesus considered baptism an essential part of disciple-making, right? Do you ever wonder, like, if Jesus, if, at Matthew 28, when he says, okay, I'm leaving, but you guys make disciples and baptize them. And someone said, well, why do we have to baptize them? That seems like it's a lot of work. And do you imagine Jesus saying, well, you know, I'm not going to be here, but I just need to make some rules and make people do some things that they're maybe a little uncomfortable with. You know, show them who's in charge and stuff and see if they're willing to step up or not. Or do you think it's possible, or maybe even likely, that Jesus at the end of his ministry, thinking of generation after generation after generation of people who will be disciples, was able to look back on the role that his own baptism played and how empowering a moment that was. Do you think Jesus was maybe able to look back across his years in ministry and say, at those times that it was hard and difficult and painful. At those times when people were persecuting me and trying to kill me and seeking the worst for me, at those times I could look back to that moment where I was baptized and where God poured out his love and affection and affirmation, and I knew from that moment that flag in the sand that God was with me, and it was what happened in that moment of baptism that helped carry me through the difficulty along the way. Do we think it's possible that Jesus, looking forward, thinking of the generations of disciples to come, would say, you know what? There are going to be some difficult times for you as well. There's going to be some times when it's harder than you anticipated. There are going to be some times when what you need is a moment in your spiritual journey where you knew beyond all doubt that that was real, that there was a spiritual flag in the sand, that you experienced God's affirmation and love and his voice speaking to your heart and telling you how much he loves you and how pleased he is with you. And you're going to need that to face what's coming. And so as we're making disciples, we got to give people that moment so that they can succeed as they go. We talk about being a place of a church. We define our mission in terms, right, of being disciples who make disciples. And so part of being a disciple, apparently, from Jesus' example, is to get baptized. And making disciples is also baptizing disciples. They go hand in hand. They can't be separated out or isolated in any way. From that moment, right before Jesus ascended to the Father, fast forward a few weeks, several weeks, to this moment that's, um, that's described in Acts chapter 2, where Jesus' disciples... Are in the upper room, and and the Holy Spirit of God descends and visits, uh, descends upon them and visits them. And there's this hubbub that's created, and the hubbub spills out into the public streets, and people are asking what's going on. And in response to what's going on, Peter gives one of the greatest messages ever. He tells them about Jesus, about Jesus being the Messiah, about the fact that those people there in Jerusalem, you rejected this Messiah and you put him to death, but you couldn't stop God's plan. God raised him from the dead, and now there is salvation available only in him. It is a great sermon. If you're not familiar with it, spend some of your time this afternoon reading through Acts chapter 2. It's awesome. But at the end of that passage, after Peter has very clearly uh, presented the message of the gospel and who Jesus was and what his appearing may, means. This is what happened at the, at the close of that message. It says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And before we move on from that one, maybe if we can go back just a little bit. Again, remember those elements of belief and identification and repentance? They ask, you know, Peter is finishing his sermon the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They believed what Peter was saying about who Jesus was and what it meant that he had died and risen again. And, and they asked, what shall we do? That is, not only do we believe, but how do we identify with this group of people who understand what Jesus was doing there? Okay, go ahead to the next one if you would. And Peter replied, third item, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Baptism is absolutely central to the message of the gospel. There is not the gospel and then an add-on optional baptism. There is the gospel message, and it includes the idea of baptism. In this We understand the fundamental elements of baptism. There is belief. These people being baptized in this section are going to say, um, we believe in the work of Jesus Christ. And then there's the idea of identification. In doing so, we identify with not just Christ, but also his body, the church. There's an image in the way many first century churches did baptism that I absolutely love. And it was during a season in the life of the church where they were under persecution by Rome, where taking the public step of baptism could, could uh, get you imprisoned or worse, okay, and, and quite possibly executed. They would, um, they would spend a time of training with the, with the new disciples to make sure they understood what they were doing, and then it came time for baptism. And the church leaders who were doing the baptism would head out into the river. Those who are Jesus followers, members of the church who had already expressed faith in Christ gathered on one side of the river. Baptismal candidates started on the other. And one by one, they made their way from this side of the river, separated and not quite yet part of the church To this point in the middle where they made their confession of faith and they went under the waters of baptism, they rose up and expressed their hope in the resurrection. And then at that point, they were able to continue on to the other side and to symbolically and very powerfully join the, the family of believers who gathered them and greeted them and celebrated with them on the other side. That moment of baptism was a moment of powerful identification with Christ, but also with Christ's body, the church. And then part of that process then was repenting of sins and saying, "Um, I recognize, I place my faith in Christ to forgive the sins that I've committed that way. That's what all is entailed in baptism. And then Peter, at the close of his sermon, he says, they say, Peter, what should we do? He says, repent and be baptized. And then he says this. This is even better. This promise, the promise of salvation... The, the promise of the Holy Spirit that, that meets with you at that point where we're baptized. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. All who are far off. That's you and me. Future generations. For all whom the Lord our God will call. Those who, and here's the thing. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their numbers that day. Those who accepted the message were baptized. Now you know in a crowd of that size, right, that there were many who listened and were interested, but maybe didn't fully come to a point of belief. There are many who are probably intrigued, this is interesting, I might need to look into this a little bit more, but they weren't quite ready to say yes. There were probably those, I would imagine, that would say, that it said, this is a great message, and I believe that it's true, And I accept that it's probably the right thing to do going forward. But this is very public. And I'm not sure that right now in this moment I have the courage to step out in a very public way and declare my faith and my alignment with the people of God in this particular way. And they weren't ready. But in that moment, it says those who accepted the message, they were baptized. And the same thing uh, runs forward today per for Peter's description, this is the way it's going to be moving forward. This baptism he was doing was not a one day deal. This was the way that the discipling process was to work moving forward. And so, in view of that, I want to address three different groups of people who may exist here in the room and online today. The first is this you're a follower of Jesus. And at some point back in the past, you you were baptized, you understand, you have experienced what we've been talking about today, and you're good with that. That is fantastic. Can I simply say to that particular group, you're not done with the business of baptism. We who are baptized have a holy obligation to encourage those who are not baptized to be baptized, and to embrace them with the love of God when they are. To play our Part as the assembled body of Christ, and to welcome those who are being baptized with energy, with enthusiasm, with joy, and with celebration. We have scheduled, as we do at the end of each month, a baptism. It's two weeks from now. It's, it's the weekend of Thanksgiving, but after church on the 28th, we're going to be on the patio baptizing people and so for those of you who have already been baptized i want to challenge you would you make in view of the significance of baptisms would you make some plans to be here after the 11 o'clock service and and we can celebrate together with joy we can help make this a powerful experience for those who are being baptized just by our presence and by our joy and our participation and welcoming them that would be huge that would be amazing There's a second group of people that that may exist here in the room and that's those of you who are followers of Jesus but you've either never had the opportunity to be baptized or you've passed on a few opportunities or maybe even you got baptized in the past sometimes but it, it just didn't have the kind of impact that maybe we're talking about here. Maybe you were less involved in the decision making, I don't know. But to that group of people I would say I would ask you would you prayerfully consider this is your time? Perhaps you've misunderstood that stepping into faith is the most important thing and baptism is a kind of like kind of AP extra credit course. Now's your time to step into the heart of what baptism is and to say yes to Jesus in a very public way and representing on the outside what God has already done and been doing on the inside. There, it's, it's super easy. You can... Um, if you're in the room, you can fill out a connection card today, say, I want to be baptized, and just drop it off back at Connection Point, and, and they'll connect you with people, you'll hear from us, and we'll get you ready. You can, uh, if you're with us online and you're wanting to get baptized, you can either, in the chat section, you can type in, hey, I'd like to be baptized, and, and we'll be in touch with you that way. If you want it to be a little more private than that, you can uh, click the prayer link, and one of the hosts in the online service, they will, uh, they'll be in touch with you kind of one-on-one right there, and you can talk to them about your desire to be baptized. And that would be great as well. You can go to our app, you can go to our website to register. However you get there, if this is your time, I don't want you to miss that moment of the sense of God's affirmation, encouragement, his declaration of love, and telling you how pleased he is with what it is that you're doing and who it is that you're becoming. I want that for you. So do not hesitate on that as well. Third group, you're you're not a Christ follower at this point there never has come that time where you've said Jesus is my Lord and Savior there's never been that time where you, where you decided I'm going to place my faith in him and believe that he is who he said he was I'm gonna, you've never reached that point of saying I'm going, to become, I'm going to follow Jesus with my whole heart and life and, and maybe from that standpoint you look and go "Hey, I, ba- the baptism part sounds pretty cool, I could step into that I just want to be clear, outside of the reality of having uh, placed our faith in Christ and step into a relationship of faith in him and following him that way, baptism doesn't make much sense. It's, It's just a short bath with a lot of people watching. But maybe today is the day that before you move ahead to the step of baptism, it's time to get to the heart of the issue. And say, is it time maybe, first of all, to place your faith in Jesus Christ? To make him your Lord? To step across the line of faith? You can do that in a simple way. It doesn't require a big, loud prayer, or a raised hand, or a coming forward. Really, it, it requires just a couple moments of prayer right where you are. And we'll give you a moment to do that here in just a bit. It requires just a moment of honesty before God that acknowledges, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God like he said. I want to identify with him and with his body, the church. And in doing that, I'm going to repent of my sin and ask God to forgive me, not because of my own merits, but because Jesus paid the price on the cross. And scripture tells us in many ways, many places, that that is the beginning of eternal life. And on the strength of that moment of prayer and that moment of decision and that moment of placing our faith in Christ, we can launch into the experience of baptism and meet God's grace and presence and power there in an amazing way. And so here's what we're going to do for the next few moments. Okay? The band's going to be here. There's going to be some quiet and reflective music. If, if you need to take this moment and declare to God your faith in Him, by all means, do that here and now in those moments. Also, you're going to see some uh, passages of scripture up on the screen some scriptures that re- relate to the uh, sacrament of communion so in these moments that we share there's communion elements in this, this kind of seat back in front of you there read, read and reflect on those scriptures, take a moment when the time is right for you, you can open those up, receive that bread and the cup uh, as representations of the fact that Christ's body was broken for you that his blood was shed for you and that you went to identify and participate in that new covenant as well And then when that few moments is done, um, we'll join together in one last song today and we'll worship the Lord and then we'll launch ourselves out into a really great day after that. So let's spend these first few moments reflective and full of prayer and seeking the Lord. Thank you so much for joining us at Mission Vale Christian Church. Just know that we always have live services here every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. We'd love to have you here and we'll see you next time.